Good evening, everybody. How y'all feeling? Well, I'm excited to be here, uh, clearly, um, as I always am. Um, hope that uh, Mike and Michelle are having a good time in uh, in Idaho. I have a suspicion that they'll be watching tonight. Um, so I'm just excited to be here, and um, it's been a couple weeks, and um, I don't know if I just said that, but for those who don't know me, I'm Ernst, and um, from time to time I weasel myself on this stage and and drop the word when Mike is not around or he needs a little break. I love you guys, excited to be here, but last week was a great week up here, and I watched it from home. And I got to say, like, especially not being there when Casey was here, uh, whom I'm so proud of. And um, if you hear about journeys going 180 degrees to the right direction, I think it's Casey. So I just want to shout out that I'm extremely proud of you, brother. And I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend. Um, and then the other thing is, as I was listening to the message, I also heard Christian, and I actually just could have asked him to be here tonight and share exactly what he said last week. Because boy, that's that was Jesus all over you, brother. So, uh, and and I'm I'm very proud of you as well. Um, and um, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, <coughs> join us tonight, Lord, as we gather in your name. Fill our hearts, Lord, with your love. Help us to get closer to you, understand you better. Just hold us close tonight. Open up our eyes and ears to receive from you and an open heart, Father, to be changed. So, Father, we commit this night into your hands. Pray that you'll speak through me, and that no words will fall on rocky grounds. So change us, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, tonight, what's kind of exciting that uh, I got a couple of people here uh, tonight that uh, I work with, and um, we had a team building event this afternoon, and I had to miss it because I had to do a little bit of preparation for tonight. And uh, it was a, a team-building event, and uh, I think it was, was it dodgeball? We, I played that before, and I would have loved to get a chance to fire a few fastballs at a couple of people. You know what I'm saying? Amen? All right. A team-building event with dodgeball, and the guy with my arm is a bad idea. But, but as I was thinking of team-building events, and, and we've done a couple. I've done many in my career for the different companies that I've worked for. And it's, it's kind of like to, to bring you all together, right? Bring us together as a company so we can work better with each other. Perhaps we can trust each other a little bit more, right? So I was thinking, you know, the ultimate trust thing that I can imagine is a trust fall. Anyone ever done that? A trust fall? You guys know what it is? All right. You know, so, so, so 
Prove it. I actually will do it with you guys. So there's a person standing like on a, a stage elevated area. And there's a couple of people here, hopefully friends, that claim that they're going to catch you when you turn your back and just go. Anyone? Yeah? Anyone ever failed it? The trust fall. Who do you trust with the trust fall? Let, let's up the stakes a little bit. Who do you trust in your life when there's a little bit more at stake than maybe a little back injury or something like that? Let's, let's, let's think about this concept. Who do you trust? With your life. Who in your life are you absolutely sure of that they will catch you? Okay, I'm done for tonight, Jesus. I got the answer here. Okay. All right? That's difficult. I trust my wife. I trust, I think I trust my girls. They're eight, so maybe not yet, but. Uh, <coughs> I got some good friends. But, but trust is, is a difficult thing. And I think I'm not alone when I say that many of us here have had their trust seriously broken. And it takes a long time to build that. But we trust people all the time, every day. When you go to the dentist, I have no idea what he's doing. I just hope that it's okay. The proof's in the pudding, right? When you go to a car dealership, I wouldn't trust those guys at all, by the way, but anyone in that business? Nope. Okay. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're trusting people all the time. When I, when I put my, my key in the car and I, I turn it, I trust that the, the engine will start, right? I trust my alarm clock is going to go off. And I think, in a sense, on a bigger picture kind of scale, we as Christians are also in the business of trust, aren't we? We, 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 we trust, we have our life centered around a faith and a trust in God. We, we try to live by faith that God is good, that He provides he protects, he leads, he guides, and maybe even he blesses us. But it's not easy. And, and let's talk about the father of our faith, Abraham. Speaking of faith. It's an unbelievable faith. And his story always holds a special place in my heart because God promised him that he'd be the father of a great nation. That would bless multiple nations, all the nations. His descendants would multiply as the stars in the, in the sky. And here's the deal. He was an old man. And his wife, Sarah, was an old lady. When he heard that God told him he was going to have offspring, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? 
He even took matters in his own hands and found himself a younger baby mama. Not completely uncommon in the time, in, in hundreds of years back, but uh, God, God fulfilled that promise. And eventually, at the age of probably around 90 years old, Sarah received a son. And, and then here's the, 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 the crazy thing is that God then asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son and kill him. It's daunting to me because Abraham trusted God so much that he was willing to do that and God thankfully stopped him. I don't have that kind of faith. Not many of us do. So let me ask you, how, how strong is your faith? Do you ever doubt? This is where you say, yes, I do. Do you ever need a little bit more faith? You don't have enough of it? I, th I, think, I think making decisions in our lives based on faith can be very, very challenging and difficult. So tonight I want to talk about faith. And I want to, I want to kind of, the aim is to, 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 to get an understanding what true faith and trust is. And learning to exercise this faith. And this free gift that we get. And apply it in all aspects in our lives. So will you turn to Matthew 8 with me? And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. And I'm sure somebody can get you a Bible. But if you have a smartphone, I pretend that you're not texting. I'll look it up. All right. So let me read it. Starting in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be heard. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. In verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, and it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed. At that very hour. It's an amazing story. And, and um, the background here is a little bit that, that we're in Capernaum. And, and, and Jesus just finished his sermon on the mount. And was, was entering this area. And he was being followed by a large group of believers. Probably also critics and, and Gentiles. Non-believers. Thrill seekers maybe. Because he been doing some miracles. So he had become kind of like a miracle man as well. 
And he had just shockingly healed a man suffering from leprosy. Only to make the group of miracle man followers even larger. And then we read that a centurion approached Jesus. Hold on, stop. A centurion approached This is completely counter-cultural for that time. A centurion was a Roman soldier, a commander, or a captain. This was not a Jew, not a believer, not a follower of Christ, most likely. This was actually an invader at that time. And this man approached Jesus. Calling Jesus Lord. He doesn't call him teacher or rabbi. Did, did this centurion know something about Jesus that the others didn't know? Because he risked a lot. His reputation, his status, his stature. He could have most likely lost his job when he sent back. And he called him Lord. So, so we don't know much about this centurion. But what we do know is that this guy was in absolute crisis mode to do something like this. Have you ever had a crisis in your life where you have absolutely no idea what to do next? You don't know where to turn, when to turn left or right. I experienced it when, when my son Sam passed away. I was in absolute crisis mode. And I did not come to Jesus until I was in that crisis mode. I did not know Jesus. I had no idea who he was. I'd heard of him, but that's it. But he knew me. And he accepted me. And I think that this centurion was in a similar desperate situation. Probably exhausted every medicine man, doctor he could find to, to, to get his servant healed. And he's very specific about it too. He says, my, my servant is, is, is terribly suffering. And he doesn't ask Jesus, can you, can you heal him? He just states facts. Very specific ones. Pay attention here. So he, he approached Jesus in desperation. And he did this for a servant. Didn't do it for himself. Didn't do it for his wife or his mother or one of his children. He did this for one of his servants to be a slave. Seems hardly worth it, doesn't it? To risk your reputation for servant? I, I, I'd like to believe that he was willing to risk it all for a servant. I, I would like to think that this centurion was a very noble man and an awfully loyal and good master. 
through his servant. I like to believe that. And then look at Jesus' response in verse 7. Seems a little odd perhaps, right? He could have just healed him on the spot. But I think Jesus was going to use this moment being surrounded by a large group of people for a learning moment, don't you think? That's how we went about things, right? I think he wants to teach his followers, bystanders, and maybe even Jewish church leaders a little something. The centurion responds that, that he's not worthy for Jesus to come to his home. But then he says, and this is the key, but say the word and my servant will be healed. But. Underline that word in your Bible. But. But God. It's unlikely but. But God is the starting point of our faith. But God. And although seemingly impossible against the odds and, and maybe beyond understanding, the centurion thinks that Jesus can. Because here he says, say the word. So, so, so did this centurion realize or knew that Jesus was beyond time and matter? He didn't need to be physically present to heal somebody because the healing he's done before were physical healings where he put his hands on people. Did he understand what Jesus' capabilities were? To even with a single word, heal somebody. Or speak the world, the world in, in motion, in existence. And then in verse 9, we continue, the centurion explains um, why he knows why Jesus can heal his servant with a single word. And he uses the word authority. Say that with me, authority. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he does it, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my, ser to my servant, do this and do it, and he does it. He had probably heard of some of the miracles that Jesus had done and that, that people had seen him do, but never anything like this. Yet, this is what he says. Is, is this centurion trying to convince Jesus? Giving him a reason why he can do this, despite the societal objections of him being a Roman, Jesus being a Jew? Could that be it? Or could it be a dare? You're the miracle man, I dare you to do this. I don't think so. I think, first of all, he knew that there were societal objections for a, a rabbi, a Jew, to come into a Gentile's house 
that's unclean. I think he knew that. But I also think that he was convinced that it could be done. I think the centurion recognizes Jesus as a figure of authority. And the position that he very well understands as a commander. He can exercise this authority when he sends a verbal order. And not just to a group of a hundred soldiers. But to anything. And it will be done. And I think his faith had everything to do with this total authority that he knew Jesus had. So faith, in this sense, can be described as confidence in the things not seen. And perhaps believing that everything around us is guided and directed. As we read in Hebrews 11, faith is described as Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we don't see. And this hope is not a fond desire. It's, it's, it's based on the promises of God as we read in Scriptures. This is, by the way, why we go to church. To hear about them. So, so this faith is not a positive thinking. Um, it's not following a hunch you may have or hoping for the best or, you know... It's not a feeling of optimism, crossing your fingers, wishing upon a star. It's, it's not that self-confidence. No, this is not that kind of faith. Faith is not just knowing who Jesus is, but what He can do. That's what living by faith centers around. So there's a few principles of, of living by faith. And they're not very easy. Number one, faith is believing without seeing. That's tough, isn't it? Number two, faith is obeying without emotion or feeling. Welcome to 2022. And number three, here's the kicker. Authentic faith will Transform your life. Do I need to say that again? Authentic faith will transform your life. And I got a lot of witnesses when I say that. This is true. Being recorded. So, so why was Jesus so amazed? So amazed by this faith. How, maybe we should ask ourselves, how is this faith measured? I think it's our willingness to follow Him despite our doubts, our fears, our objections. Sometimes I like to use the word trust instead of the word faith. It's a more worldly kind of term that I like. And we trust in all things, all the time. All kinds of things. We talked about it before, what we trust in. So, so what is this trust, this faith based on? And I, I think from trust to faith is, is a windy road from expectation to knowing. Knowing. 
that's where faith comes in. So in a sense, I think faith is, is trust and plus confidence. So I think Jesus was amazed because the centurion, not a Jew, not a follower, rested in the faith that Jesus had a position of true authority. Even in the things not, not seen. And I think he was also amazed, and this is where we pay attention, because he understands how difficult it is. Amen? It is difficult. And I struggle with it. And I think our faith can grow from confidence to knowing through Scripture, God's promises, prophecies that came true, His Word revealing His character, who He is. God is good. God is love. His faithfulness to us. And of course, for us individually, what has He done for you? What has He done for you? I know what He's done for you. What has He done for you? Ask yourself that question. Quite unlikely at times what He's done for you. Isn't it? But I think we can all agree that it's, it's difficult to live by faith. To fully surrender. And as all of you guys, I struggle with it. It's difficult for me to fully surrender as I stand here. I don't have all the answers. I, I struggle with my faith at times. I'm far from an Abraham kind of faith. Far from it. Do I have faith in this provision? Do I have faith that he will heal me or others around me? Do I have faith that he will protect me? Do I have faith that he will protect those around me? Do I have faith to turn into a road that I've never traveled? No! It's difficult. It's really difficult. I wrestle with God as Jacob did in Genesis. I wrestle with him. But let me tell you this. Praying for faith doesn't offend Jesus. In Mark 9, we actually read about a man asking Jesus to help him with his unbelief. So the good news here is that he doesn't expect our faith to be perfect. He wants us to grow in his faith as we come closer and walk closer with him. And I may not always have the, the, the faith to really know these things, but here's what I do know. If I stay close to him and I pursue him, my life is better. My relationships are better. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. My work is better. My soul is better. So here's my call to action for you. As I spend more time with Him, I get to know Him more. That's who I'm talking about. And if I get to know Him more... Consequently, I get to trust. I can trust Him more. 
My faith will grow. And my life will change. That's a guarantee. Your life will change. And why do you think? Well, look at this example in verse 13. Jesus said, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Immediate and complete healing. So in closing, did the centurion know who he was dealing with? Jesus, God the Son, um, omnipotent, omnis, omnis, omniscient, omnipresent. Did, did this centurion know that this was the Messiah himself? Perhaps not. I don't think he did. But he knew something we should all know today. And that is... Yes, he can. And as we learn more about him, we learn only he can. He is the one that this is all about. So in this section, the centurion went from crisis faith to confident faith. Faith, not in something, but in someone. And that's Jesus. The centurion did not know Jesus, yet Jesus helped him. So Jesus is not just for those who know him. He yearns for those who don't. He yearns for you who don't know him. So for us tonight, let's have our faith because of the cross, the transaction on the cross, the payment that wiped away our debt that set us straight with God. That's what He did on that cross. For me, He did it for you. And for you. And for you. And for you. Even when you don't know it yet. Do you believe this here? Do you believe that that's exactly what He did? Do you believe that tonight? That if there's ever any trust fall you want to do, trust fall on Jesus. Because you can be sure He will catch you. I hope you know this here tonight. What would have happened if the centurion's servant wasn't healed? He had nothing to lose. The centurion had nothing to lose. He was at its wit's end. He did, not want, he did not know what to do next or where to go. And perhaps that is you here tonight.
perhaps tonight you listen to this story and you recognize yourself in that centurion, in whatever position you may be in today, that you just don't know what to do. You are at your wit's end. Perhaps you have struggled to commit fully to Jesus. And so perhaps tonight is the night that you should. Because if Jesus did this for a centurion, I can guarantee he will do it for you tonight. So here's where the gospel comes in. The good news. It's all about letting go of the old and clinging on to the new, a new way, a new life in faith in Jesus. As this beautiful Chris Tomlin song reads, He can wash away our sorrows. Give us faith to follow to a next tomorrow. So even this is you today, tonight. Will you pray with me? So close your eyes and bow your heads. And you can repeat after me in silence or out loud. Nobody's watching. And pray like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you were buried and resurrected on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart tonight. Make me new. And I will make you the Lord of my life. Amen.